I've been talking for the wasted it, but okay. So go ahead and introduce yourself, even though we've been talking for 30 minutes, but introduce yourself for the guests and tell everyone what your background is or whatever you want to share. Sure, I had the script ready. I did uh, a little over 20 years in the Marine Corps. Um, I was an intelligence specialist. It's always weird to say that to people because, you know, when you meet your average person on the street, they ask you what your job was and they've completely developed their whole worldview on you based off your MOS, um, not your actual experiences mm-hmm. or getting to know you as a human. Um, but yeah, I did 20 years as an Intel specialist in the Marines. Um, you know, I predominantly served with, uh, you know, what people would classify as special operations, uh, forces units, uh, including Marine reconnaissance, uh, Marine special operations command and, uh, the Navy SEALs. And, you know, I did dabble in instructing Marines and sailors here and there. That's where I met you. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, dude, I, it's really funny that. I mean, it's true. If you tell someone, like, if you're a veteran or whatever, you go out into the wild, they're like, oh, you were a grunt. That's so cool. Like, did you, how many people yeah. did you kill? And then yeah, you say weird. something like your logistics are like fag, lame. Yeah, that's, it's, it's like a, I mean, if you look back historically, America has always had an involvement with marketing and, and, you know, propaganda uh, with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And if you really look at it, that people's worldview of the military is shaped by, books they read and movies they watched and that's how they're distilling their experience down with you they're you know basing it off of something they watched whether it's gi joe or rambo you know that's mm-hmm. how they're they're basing their interaction with you on yeah it's kind of funny that you mentioned that and then like what five minutes before we hit record that you were talking about the raid and you're like it's literally like a movie it's oh yeah yeah the keystone <laughs> cops like everybody's tripping over everybody and falling down and you can't get it. Can't get yeah. it right. <laughs> and well, I'm not sure why Cody. Uh, I mean, it's necessary. I think it's like watching Top Gun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Top Gun. Top Gun exists <laughs> yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Oh, dude! Didn't like military recruitment go up like 175 percent as soon as that movie dropped? Like everyone. Yeah, and it's necessary, and it's great, and you know, thank God we have people willing to continue to make movies like that in today's day and age with mm-hmm. you know ESG scores and all that stuff. So. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's it's great. It's you know mind numbing entertainment. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm trying to formulate a post on a kit bag, which it's how the media in like video games, you know, movies, stuff like that, try to shape the public's perception before something happens. Mm-hmm. So like Black Hawk Down was in production before 9/11, and it dropped like what, like six months afterwards, and it was just like, oh, we gotta go get them. And then you could play something like Modern Warfare that came out right before the surge in Afghanistan. Which is like trying to motivate kids to go enlist and go fight and do Black Hawk Down because they saw it in the movie five <laughs> years prior. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a little, it's yeah, a little there's tough. some truth Instagram to that. Probably. I, I think it's just unintentional. I think it's probably unintentional though. I think it's just an accident because if you re- look at America's history, we're in a a major conflict of some sort every five to ten years. You know, um, I think that's what it distills <laughs> down to is like there's a new thing um, that we're doing. Um, that that often so i don't think it's intentional to like get ready for the next thing and i don't i don't, I don't think that's what you're insinuating but i think it's just how it is you know we're uh, mm-hmm. the west is about arts and entertainment and creativity and i think that's wonderful and great and uh, i think that's just kind of how it works itself out yeah i think it's really interesting that movies and tv shows are now being made about the global war on terror era 
because there's nothing better than just making a movie about killing Nazis. Like that's just fun. Oh, right? I know. But then after over that, it's like it's such a yeah, it's just a moral gray period. And so I think it's interesting that both <laughs> someone like video games and the movies sort of like walking that side by side because they're like, we'll make the Hurt Locker and we're gonna drop Modern Warfare two in the same weekend. It's gonna yeah. be <laughs> the Hurt Locker. Uh, hilarious. I got a funny story about that one because. Um, I was with a team in um, Afghanistan. We were up in the middle of nowhere. It was near the Turkmenistan border in uh, Bala Murgab. And uh, one of the guys on the team, he's our ASO guy. Um, he's still active duty, kicking around out there somewhere. Uh, his dad, we had a SDN medium with us. Like our team, our, our special ops team got an SDN medium uh, mm-hmm. deployed with us. Which, you know, for those, whoever listens, the audience you have, means you got a little bit bigger bandwidth you know you got more pipes but we were literally like mm-hmm. in a steer middle of nowhere location but what that allowed us to do was we could access um uh, dropbox so his dad would drop movies to us and we would all cram into our key skiff and turn it into like a cigar and whiskey lounge so we'd, we'd all sit around the the <laughs> laptop and you know wait two days to download something off dropbox and hurt Locker mm-hmm. was one of them and it was one of the worst movies we have all ever seen it. We we watched it and it was just god awful. You know, credit to whoever, you know, acted in it, whatever, but that was for us watching that, we were just like this was before the Oscar and everything like that. It was pretty new at the time. But it was just not a great depiction of anything, you know, about our life or anything. I think they were trying to cram too much into a movie to get everybody behind it to be like, Oh, look at the poor veteran, look what they go through, you know, coming back from over there. Wait, didn't that come out the same kind of time frame as like Brothers with uh, Tobey Maguire, where he's like didn't a see it. Never yeah, he's saw like it. A I don't watch. I don't because, watch modern yeah. movies usually about modern stuff that I participated in or was part of. I'd rather yeah. just turn on like something like Fury and be like, "Yeah, that's how it was." <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> dude. Dude, that's your literally uh, me. You're like, look at that haircut. That's me. I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> or like every other I mean, army that's, officer that's who turns I on it, and I'm sure, brothers. You know, Twenty years from now, they'll do the same thing. Yeah. You're chopping up, man. Oh shit. Hello. He's, we he's cutting out pretty Hello? bad. There we go. You got him. I got you. I don't kill him. Recording continues. You guys can edit all this out, right? Yeah, yeah. keep going. Yeah, yeah. Damn. You guys were talking There's about big winners, right? Yeah. Yep. Cody, you're, you were talking about Dick Winners? <laughs> yeah, I was talking about Dick Winners and how Damn. every officer compares himself to uh, Dick Winners when they watch fucking Band I mean, of Brothers. That's, he's awesome. I mean, he. Oh, yeah, like that's going to be them and that's going to be their experience. Yeah, <laughs> gonna fight in World War Two. Roll up all of the with the Western Front, and they go train Rangers in Korea. Yeah, that's their career. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the the reality is though is you know most people want to be Dick Winters, but the, they're predisposed to be you know whoever Ross from Friends character was. That's more than likely who they so, are. Yeah, yeah, Sobel. Like that's well, that's the majority of earlier. people. Like they're gonna they're gonna be like that. What's that? Yeah, you were mentioning earlier that when you go up in the ring, so you could be like a lance corporal or a specialist together. I think they're a cool dude. 
And then once they get like NCO, they just become a prick and you've realized that they're yeah. just the absolute worst. And they're the ones that, I mean, <clears throat> they're the ones that call you like a shit bag or a bloody fucker. Well, they, I, Cause you're just like, I don't care. I'm a Marine half the time. If it's 12, five, <laughs> as I used to call it. <laughs> well, I think people become career minded. I think pe- people become career minded and, and they mm-hmm. start, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I, I guess the only thing you could do is have your own experience. And, you know, I don't know why you got out, Matt. Like we know, we've never even really talked about that. Like, like I know it's hard to stay in and I would have gotten out certainly because mm-hmm. I wasn't compatible with the Marine Corps. Like I just kept finding myself around people and places where I could be me and still do my mm-hmm. job. It was never really I like, Oh know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's not most people's experience. And I don't, I don't blame you, you know, cause most mm-hmm. people's experience, it's like, you have to stab people in the back. <laughs> you have to conform to mm-hmm. some weird, weird version of the standard of what you thought it was, but it's like, some CEO's distilled, you know, viewpoint of that, how they're interpreting the Marine Corps. And if you're not meeting that, then you're out, you know, it's like squid game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff that went to mind. It was, uh, uh, I, I, I got the story. So there was a chick that I worked with who was like, she and I were peers and then she got sergeant and then immediately started like flirting with me. And I was like, fucking stop. Don't want to do that. Get out of here. <laughs> and then, so after that, she's like, he turned me down fine. And so since I was like the security guy, she would uh, nitpick every single thing I did and then call the SSO. We're like, Corporal Mullins doesn't know how to do his job, blah, 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 blah. And then when I was at third recon, real fun place. I really like those guys. But the moment I said I was questioning about getting out, they blacklisted me. They were like, don't talk to him. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I'm the intel chief. I'm like, that's what are you doing? And so they were like, no, we got nothing going on. Neither do you. We need someone to separate the cigarette butts from the recycled bins in Japan. I was like, thanks. Great. Yeah, whatever. That's pretty typical, man. That's like a lot of people's experience, I think. Um and it's just like, how much shit can you eat? You know, like I, I mean, everybody ate shit at some point, but at some <laughs> point you got to figure out like how to stop eating shit. <laughs> it's not so yeah, easy. I, uh, no, it's not. I mean, I don't know. I was trying to go to, uh, I wanted to be like a sock eye and I had a hernia. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, they were like, get that fixed first. And then after that, come back and try again. I was like, all right, cool. So then after I did like my recovery and everything, I got orders of third recon. I was like, hold on, hold on. I'm trying to go to Marsoc. And so after that, I went back to the Marsoc office and I was like, yeah, I was working with, you know, Doug Smith or whatever. They're like, he doesn't work here anymore. We don't have a file on you. Um, you're going to try again mm. do the full reapplication process. It's like, God damn it. Uh, so they made it hard. Like, I mean, they, I'm sure yeah. it's funny because I'm part of a signal thing that I check every six months and it's like all socks eyes on there. And mm-hmm. half of them are guys that went through the course like that. We, mm-hmm. I think had a positive impact on, you, you know, had an absolutely positive impact on that. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's it. That's the work to do. And, uh, it was, yeah. it's, it's almost one of those divine intervention things. You're like, if you're hitting a roadblock every, every single step, then you're like, it's probably not yeah. the path you should be on. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, yeah, man. I mean, I, I tried to explain that. Like I think back, it's, it feels like 20 years ago you know, instructing over there at the schoolhouse here. And, uh, I think back on that and I'm like, um, I, I always, I think I told you guys like, don't base your careers off of my career. Like that's unfair Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's like you just stumble into opportunity and it's, you have to be ready for the opportunity when it happens and you have to be able to seize it. People always view it as like, Oh, I'm, it's because you're good or not good. 
No, it's just that an opportunity presents itself and you're good enough at that time. And that's mm-hmm. really what it just comes down to, right? And, and it, you know, it's not something you should ever think twice about. I regret the decision. I've done some pretty good things. I mean, I went back to DC or I moved to DC on a whim and ran into Ray almost immediately. So that was fun. He um, told me. <laughs> it, it was insane. It was like week three and I was walking down the hallway and I just see like this short stocky guy. And I was like, is that, is that Gunny Lindsay? <laughs> I was like, what's up, dude? Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Oh, that's so how funny. much, of, how much of what I was trying to push on you guys is true? all of it i'd say 95 percent. yeah like, there was it was a very sobering experience to like because i just i went to the course as soon as i got back from my deployment and it was like you know the there was the optimistic side and then the realist side and then after that like went and hung out with you and you know ray Lindsay for what three months and then came back and i was like ah, yeah no marine corps doesn't do anything like we got to do something else marsoc's the way to do it but yeah a lot of what you talked about with the um how the intelligence take them so seriously i remember that you're talking about how a lot of people just blow it off or just get complacent because they see it's like a thankless job and then that's when everything becomes mm-hmm. a problem so really just just staying focused on that kind of stuff is something i like still to this day like hold on to yeah dude that's i, I mean god it's i think it was easy for me to have that opinion of things having the career I had because I got to see a lot of the instant impact of what I was doing. And then, but also trying to carry that forward to make other people care because it does matter and you're never going to be thanked for it. You're nobody's ever going to care, right? Like nobody cares about you. There's no, even if they made books and movies about you, which they did grow like growing up as a kid, like that's how I kind of gravitated towards that field was, you know, I, I, I was a heavy fan of Tom Clancy, you know, mm-hmm. the Jack Ryan, book series like I, I grew up reading that stuff and um that's kind of why I gravitated towards that career field was that and I was never a great student um but you know they don't they don't have anything nowadays like that where it's like um this is why this stuff matters even like Jack Ryan nowadays they've made him into like an action hero <laughs> you know they've they've tried to operationalize <laughs> <Yeah>. Jack Ryan <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> I mean, I watch a little of that show and you could watch the James Bond films and, you know, was it uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, which I think is like one of the most yes. like, dialed in intelligence movies. That and Sicario, the way they do coin. I was like, that's the most realistic coin movie oh, I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah, it's great. But I, I love yeah, stuff so like that. Really... But they still have to make it fun. It has to be fun. Well, yeah, if, yeah, of course. If, like, if there's nothing blowing up, no one wants to watch it. Like, who wants to watch a movie that's two hours of talking? Like... I was but, about to say, who wants to watch? Yeah, like, they don't want to. I mean, you got to make a movie. Go ahead. Sorry. What? I'm I'm coming in behind up, you Cody? guys. I'm I'm coming in behind you guys. So Damn. I'm a, I'm a, cool. I'm gonna try to quiet it Do down. But no, you're you're good. You're good. But I was gonna say, like, nobody wants to watch like two hours of or like two hours worth of a movie about MDMP. And like IPB and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I think an interesting movie, it'd be more of a series because we talk about movies and we're talking about movies and art. Um, uh, an interesting movie would be like the, the Intel guy running a psyop on his own commander of his team because the commander of the team wants to chase the big mish because he's going to get a bronze star or silver star. But you know, like the direction mm-hmm. you need to go. So you're planting the seed along the way to get them to like, listen to you. <laughs> nice. Right. Like, you're doing, uh... It's inception. Like it's inception. You're, you're, you're basically 
the movie Inception, but combine that with like Band of Brothers meets, uh, you know, Rambo. <laughs> see, that's one of the Band of Brothers, issues. Inception, and Rambo. There we go. I'd say that's one of the biggest issues I had with the military is the people that just chase rank. Like they just throw everyone under the bus. Well, it's not everybody, yeah. but they just throw a lot of people under the bus. They chase the ranks, they chase the promotions, they chase uh, awards and stuff like that. And then if you like actually peel back the layer, you're like, you haven't done anything. You just take the- I mean, when I was deployed, there was like a warrant officer that was, this guy was just insane. He would have the junior analysts write up like an intel piece. And then he would shotgun blast his critiques to the entire ship to show him what he got wrong. And I'm like, what mm. a dick. It's like, what a frick. He's well, like, he's, he's probably a product of, yeah, he's a product of, uh, that's somebody did that to him or some version of that. That's what that mm-hmm. is, you mm-hmm. know, it, it just, it's just carrying bad forward. I mean, not, I mean, I'm, I don't think anybody sets out to be a bad leader or whatever. It's just, you, you really you either learn from the bad ones you had or you to change and to not be that way, or you mimic their actions. And I think the majority of people aren't strong enough or don't have the mental fortitude to forge their own path and have their own opinion because it's hard because it mm-hmm. needs work. Right. So it's easier to default to just copying what somebody else did to you. I apply that to a lot of aspects in life. Cause everyone always just looks at like Ryan Gosling. They're like, Oh, he's literally me and adopts his personality in like what, like <laughs> drive or something like that. And it's like, they just get become devo- like a shells of who they're supposed to be. Cause they just adopt personalities and I mean, that's just like in general society. But of course, when it comes to like the military, everyone sees like dick winners. So like, I'm going to be that. And they're like, no, bro, you're a yeah. an officer. Just pass myself. Like, come on. I mean, it's, I, I get like having inspiration for somebody like him because he's a great man. I've, I've watched a lot of his, he has some interviews when he was older and he's got a ton of wisdom and a lot of perspective. But I think people are really probably more lonely than anything. And they're looking mm-hmm. for inspiration and they're not looking for it in their everyday lives. And that's fine if they don't have it, you know, but you can probably find some people around you that are inspiring in themselves, but they're grasping at something to try to emulate. And I mean, I get why it's, why it's there because you need to have something to look forward to. You need to have something to drive you forward. And I mean, he's mm-hmm. a historic figure that did a really amazing job, but again, he was kind of railroaded. He was looked down on. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. uh, this hero that we're retrospectively making him. He was made into that from, you know, not only his own merit from what he did and his, you know, his his men did, but also like people capturing the story. Right? We, I have this book club like dudes that I, you know, we get together with as successful business people. Some of them are veterans, and uh, we just got done reading the the book. Um, the boys in the boat. It's about the 1936 uh, Olympic rowing team from the university of Washington, really popular book, famous book. They did a PBS documentary on it. And, you know, nobody knew about that story until that dude wrote that book. He wrote the book because mm-hmm. he just happened to be neighbors with one of the, the, the prominent figures in the boat, you know, and now, you know, here we are years later, everybody's talking about this rowing team and everybody had forgotten about them. It's so, that's- so if we want to talk about something like that, I mean, I haven't read that book myself, but I do know that after Band of Brothers came out that everyone just kept saying, like, Captain Silver's a piece of shit. He's the absolute worst. But then all the easy company men turned around and went, like, 
Oh, no, because he ran us into the ground, we had incredible endurance when we had to run across yeah. DZs. And he was like, no, actually, all that training he did actually paid off. So you should actually be nice to him. Like, yeah, for sure, man. Like, I mean, you, you you probably had a dickhead NCO that you can think of right now that mm-hmm. uh, probably <laughs> probably benefited you too, right? But he sucked as a person to work for or with. So what is that old saying where it's like usually the shit bags are the best Marines? Where it's like you have like you oh know, yeah the picture the picture perfect carbon copy of just like the poster child of the Marine Corps is usually just the worst to work with. But that kid that smokes 75 cigarettes a day dips in his bed and then passes out watching like cartoons with beer all around him is probably going to be pretty solid when it comes to like push comes to shove. Yeah. I, I mean, there's that, that's true throughout history. It doesn't even have to just be the Marine Corps. I think that's just life. Like when you're talking about hard work, uh, the, mm. I think the people that are willing to do that, I mean, they don't have to have all those bad habits or whatever. And I've certainly tried to, I think I would put myself in that camp of somebody that wasn't, viewed positively um within our community sometimes or even nobody knew anything about me or i didn't didn't try to Mm -hmm. i wasn't there was no end state for me there was no end goal i didn't i wasn't trying to obtain a position i wasn't trying to obtain a rank i was never um in it for you know whatever right some people probably aspire to become you know senior enlisted advisor of x whatever um, and I, mm-hmm. what shaped me for what, what helped shape my mindset for that was the experiences I had as like an E4 in Iraq, you know, um, losing people in our unit and, you know, thinking about that and thinking about how that impacted me every day and the thoughts I had about it and like seeing how it impacted my friends around me, you know, I, it was, it, it felt really off to be chasing things for the purpose of obtaining more money or whatever. And maybe that's a weird way mm-hmm. to think about it. But uh, I think that's how people think about gaining uh, positional authority. It's like, Oh, I get paid more to do this or whatever. And like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just personally had a, had a problem thinking that way. And my, mm-hmm. usually my actions and what guided me in my everyday life on my job and everything I did, I tried to think about that person that's not able to be there. And, you know, you hear it nowadays a lot. It's like live a, live a life worthy of their sacrifice. And you hear it from a lot of people. And it's so true. It's like, why am I doing this? Why does this matter? Even when all that stuff happened with Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, like how everything ended and everything like, yeah, it was disheartening, but it's also like, (laughs) what control do you have over? And did you do the best you could in the time that you had? You know, that's mm-hmm. all you, that's all you're left with at the end of that. That's all you can do and think of. It's like, if you're having this existential crisis all the time about what did it all mean? Cause I felt that way, certainly at the end of my career, then you're always going to be left feeling empty no matter what, because you're going to be living in a world where decision makers are making decisions that they don't give a, they don't care about anything about you or your, your buddies. So, yeah. Uh, Cody, are was, you still, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying I'm, to cut this off, no, but yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. that was poetic. I just had to take a second. <laughs> no, you're good. And, and to add on to that, and I knew we're on a delay, so uh, just give it a minute, but I was going to say that that is right. Like you just do the best you can with what you got. You're going to see things and things are going to happen no matter what profession you're in. You're a cop, you're a, a tailor, you're a soldier, you're whatever, but it's like somebody used to do your job and somebody wants to be there, but they can't, or, you know, they have a med- mm-hmm. medical disability or something like that. And 
I mean, there's many things in my career that I wish I would have gotten to do, but where I was and looking back on it and, you know, I mean, I deployed five years ago and sometimes I still sit there on the front lawn and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe like we did X amount of missions, you know, well over hundreds, literally hundreds of missions. And I never lost anybody like, and, and there were many guys and there were many arguments and there were things like that. But it's like, you know, a lot of people on the outside, they sit there and they look at exactly like you're saying, like they look at the action, but now, you know, five years later, I'm still the only, the re only reason I haven't broken down and quit is because it's like, you know, Hey, everybody got out alive and everything was good. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's like, can you live with yourself in the actions that I know there are many majors and there are a couple generals I can name right off my hand who honest to God probably can't, they can't look back at their army career and be like, you know, I, I gave it 110% when I could based on the circumstances and what was going on and around me. Like as, as long as you give your best and you do your best with what you got, nobody can ask more of you, you know? And so, you know, mm -hmm. you're not going to, not everybody's going to get to be the Delta Force SEAL, Ranger, CIA operative. Things are going to happen. You're going to have kids. You're going to have bad leaders, you know, and you just got to do the best you can. But if, you know, you've got like six bad leaders in charge of you or your unit's notoriously getting killed and getting people killed in training, like, yeah, you're probably going to take some mental hits and you're probably going to get out or want to get out. But, you know, that's the role of the dice. Luck plays a huge part of it. I always say... The military and life, military and life are 10% preparation, 90% luck. And you just got to be prepared when that luck shows up. And and so, yeah, Ryan, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like it's, it's not going to be like the movies. It's not going to be perfect, but all you can do is the best you can with what you've got. And that's about all anybody can ever ask of you. And hopefully when you look back at it, that's what you see is like, you're not beating yourself up, but you're like, you know, I did the best I could with what I had given the circumstances and move on with your life. Yeah. And, and another thing is like, don't complain too much either. Like, you know, it's cool to complain like at times because it's camaraderie. Like think about all the hardships you had in your military career. And like, you're like, Oh, this is terrible. This is, this sucks. Like whatever you're complaining, but that's more of just like the history of mankind of like when you're in a situation where it's not comfortable, you're doing that. But it, like when looking back on it retroactively or like even when you're in it, it's important to remember like, hey, also be a good steward of your position and, and what you're doing and what we just talked about. And what am I doing to improve the situation? What am I doing to make things better with what we have available to us? Right. Um, like when I got into that teaching job where I met Matt, you know, I knew things were not going to be easy because I knew I was going from a position where I had everything that I needed at my disposal and I had gotten to do a bunch of stuff. And then I looked at what I was coming into and I came into it because personally I was selfish and I wanted to be around my family. Now I've done a lot of stuff for years and I wanted to be more consistent with being home and being with my family. And, uh, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So I took measure of the situation. I looked at what was available to me and I made do with what I had. And I was able to do something that was pretty good that I feel like would have held water at any unit organization, three letter agency. It would have been a, a, an elite course for people to go through no matter what, where that was at. And I did that with $0. I did that just from experience, knowledge, and creativity of taking advantage mm -hmm. of the resources I had available to me, you know, mm -hmm. just being a good steward of, of, what you're doing and trying and caring and giving a crap. 
Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, that is such a good, great point. I mean, just caring. I mean, just, just caring. And, and that's, that's, so I, I had this story uh, and I, I tell this to like, because, you know, people ask like, what was it take to be an officer or whatever like that? And I, I said, you know, we had this guy, uh, real fucking try hard, wanted to be like Delta Force Ranger in Cadet Land. And I'll never forget this because he was being a dick during this whole road march. Like, hey, quit, quit lollygagging, quit doing this. He was like a junior or a senior cadet and I was like a sophomore. And he, we get done and one of the captains is talking about how to be, you know, a good leader during this road march. And he's talking about, you know, just check on your guys, make sure they change socks, make sure, you know, they're <laughs> drinking enough water. And I shit you not. I, I remember cause like one of my buddies who would go on to just be like, he was a Lieutenant and got an MSM when he got out, like he was very impactful. Um, he was a logistics guy and he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but he, he was getting yelled at by this turd sandwich and I nudged him. I'm like, Tobin, look at him. He's writing this shit down in his notebook. Like he's having to write down how to care for people. And it, it it's like, yeah. if you, it, exactly like you said, it, it's perfect. You know, most people think like, Oh, there's all these things I got to do. It's like, no, just give a shit, bro. And people will, will make a That's difference. It. Like you could be a, you could be a fat slimy turd and like, just be, you know, your cargo pockets filled with snacks and Skittles. But if you look at me with that look in your eyes, like, sir or sergeant, like, please help fix me. And I, I know you're listening. Like, I can tell if you're listening. And it's like, holy shit, like, he does want to change. Like, he does want to quit being that yeah. fat turd from Alabama in the trailer park. Like, he wants to change everything and turn it around. Like, hell yes. Like, let's let's do this. And so, I mean, same as like the schoolhouse or, I mean, we've got a discord with guys that we teach free shit to all the time. And like, all it is, is just us giving a shit and caring and taking the time out of our days to be like, oh no, you know, you don't need to read like the whole fucking field manual. It's like right here. Like, this is what you need, like this little fucking paragraph. And it's like, oh, I, I mean, I just, just today was talking to a kid who's writing a paper in Los Angeles for a schoolhouse. And he's like, hey, uh, what are the seven phases of like pre-invasion? I'm like, are you talking about the seven phases of UW? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, here you go. Like, and mm-hmm. he's yeah he's a patron and he pays to be here and it's like you know hey you yeah. get that's paid crazy. to give a damn yeah get paid to give a damn and that's what good leaders do well, just seriously of, they just care i think when it comes to the military there's a lot of discouragement that goes into it because say if you're on like duty or whatever you just or night shift you just run around the jock making sure everyone's taken care of and then you can go back to your desk and realize no one's going to do that for you no one's ever come up and that's ask if you're having a good day or if everything's okay and then from there, like, cause you know, that definitely happens. I definitely experienced that. And then there's also like this professional discouragement where, I mean, Ryan, I've mentioned it a few times, but when I was deployed to uh, Libya, we were doing a, a mission and then little birds showed up in one sixtieth, And uh, I think it was third group showed up. They're like, this is ours now. And it's like, I can help. They're like, if we needed your help, you'd be doing this. And it's just depressing. And so it's just like that even if you want to keep like moving forward, you're like, I'm doing good things. There's like that mental pull in the back of your mind. You're like, this sucks. And so it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I, I, mean, I, I definitely anything, know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, man, I, dude, I appreciate that. Um, but again, it just goes back to like um, a lot of people, I've had this discussion with a lot of people throughout like the last five to 10 years people will like, they put a lot of weight on like what service branch you're part of or like what training you've been through, like what schools, all that stuff. And 
you know, I tend to think of the people that, that tend to do well, one, they're, it's not based on like what branch they're part of or like whatever military service they do or even their job. It's usually some like either life experience they had or whoever raised them and what kind of impact they made on their life. Um, that's the true boot camp. The true boot camp is kind of like what, what things are you carrying forward to your, as far as your work ethic? Like, why do you, why are you doing what you're doing? Those are the things that are kind of like what carry people and like what make people not like, Oh, I went to boot camp for three months and I went through this school for this, you know, training for a year. And then I went through this other school for a year. Like, yeah, that stuff matters and you have to do it for standards, but there's turds in every thing you do. I mean, that's 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 really nothing it's just like a check in the box thing it's almost like going to college nowadays it's like oh yeah i got a degree you know mm-hmm. what really matters is usually people's you know ethos like what's their code what do they subscribe to and are they willing to push the i believe button and, and care with you yeah that has something to do with watching the kabul uh collapse and so veteran su- suicide rates have jumped from 22 to 44 a day and I think there's just like that, just like, it's insane. It's doubled in the last two years. And it's talking about the, like the give a shit mentality. It's like, they're still your friends, dude. Just make a phone call. It's not that hard. It's yeah. Just that's, a, that's a tough conversation, like man. Yeah. That's, this is a yeah. tough <laughs> conversation, dude. Cause there's like, there's realities of a lot of this stuff with like suicide. Like nobody talks mm-hmm. about the other side of it. Like it's tragic. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's people are killing themselves that have real issues, but there's also people that are unwilling to participate in society post their service. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you look at world war two, there's that world war two veterans were good. I was going to say is that that need for longing, you just want to be a part of something and contribute. And the military definitely gives you that. So even if you're like first enlistment or, 20 year career is like, as soon as you're out, I, I don't, I don't want to say like everyone has this, but then you're like, now what and you're like, and then it's just a regression back into society because you know that they don't understand you. And then everything going on in the background from your own experience. You have to, you have to get everything. over that at some point you have to, you have to get over that at some mm-hmm. point. And again, this is where I maybe will differ and be controversial to some people is because I, a lot of what I base my view on this of is I look at my own grandfather. He was a world war two veteran, you know, engineer in the army he, he was at normandy d-day all that stuff and uh you know i look at him and i'm like he he got back from that you know he did his his time in europe and got processed back and he came in as a private and left as a private you know um built the bridges across europe into germany you know across the rhine you know paved the way for Patton's third army to get in there and uh he came back from the war and he went to dry cleaning school and became a dry cleaner. And then he was a janitor after that, you know, he wasn't writing books and making t-shirts and uh, becoming an influencer. He was just finding a way to contribute back to society and plug in. And I think at some point, like that's a, that's a societal thing where people have to like make an election to go, yes, I'm, I'm going to do this job or I'm going to be identified as this person in my community. And they, and I, I understand the belonging for community. I've read tribe like 50 times. Like I, yeah. I agree with what Sebastian Younger has to say on that stuff. I think it's great, but you have to make a choice. Like you have to decide, you have to decide who you're going to be like the Rocky movies are to me, the greatest easy way to understand life. Like if you watch all the Rocky movies, like he, cause he gives like these great speeches about life. It's like, you know, it's not about hard, 
how hard you get hit and getting up and all that stuff, right? You know, it, with with all this stuff, it's a tragedy, yes, and it sucks. And I've I've known people, and we all do know people that have have chosen to to not move on with their you know life. And there's some that it's probably deservedly so because they've done a lot of heavy lifting. But some of these people, mm-hmm. they also have to participate. You can't say, "Hey, reach out and call a buddy," because I'm sure there's people reaching out to some of these people that are still doing it. It's just they have to choose. Yes, they have to. They have to be a willing, active participant in their own life, and they have to. They have to, you know, do the thing. And I don't want to get into the whole thing about this generation's that or that generation's that because that's a slippery slope. You know, everybody's been saying that since the beginning mm-hmm. of man. Mm-hmm. I was. So. Oh, it's funny you say that because I I got out of the army and I got out of the army as a captain as a, a soft intel captain and I, I went and opened my own fucking carpet cleaning business and so uh yeah you I, exactly what you're saying you can't fucking sit, not everybody gets to be Tim Kennedy not everybody gets to sell t-shirts and be the next Matt Best like you got to find your own niche and what's funny is that even after service and there are some friends I have that are doing exactly like you're saying. And I like how you explain that. Like you have to give a shit and actually get back in, like get back up on the horse and your horse may have your old horse that you were on. Like, yeah, you were in Marsock and all this stuff, but at the end of the day, back here and back home, like my (laughs) in-laws don't know what I did. And yeah, like my, my in-laws don't care. They don't care what I do or, or know to care. Like they don't, care about the details they just know that i'm married to their daughter i was in the army and blah 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 blah. like most people just don't care and you got to find a new horse and you got to ride that horse you know it's not going to be the big clydesdale you got for free from the military you know you got to find a new one and you know you can either get a new job you can create a business you can do so many things here and you just got to figure out that you know hey i used to ride that but now i ride this you know it's just nature of the beast that's life and you know you may be a entitled to a little bit of depression you know you know yeah, it used to be cool like yeah we all do, everybody man. is though it's relative yeah. it's relative yeah. like yeah everybody has the right to feel how they how how they can feel or how they should feel or how whatever their life is like you know and it's relative to everybody's position and nobody gets to own grief you know like you don't get to own grief you don't get to own <laughs> I like depression that. you don't get you know what i mean they're like nobody has like the rights on all that stuff but at some point, it's like you gotta you either gotta choose to work. I'm a dude. I'm a real estate agent. Like, I could have done mm. a lot of things, not real estate. I people yeah. don't. I don't. I don't. You think when I meet people, I'm like, hey, I did all this really cool shit, and I'm really qualified to, you know, do all this stuff. No, they treat me like crap. Like people treat you like crap. Like you're trying to like hoodwink them. <laughs> it's it's so yeah. it's bizarre, and it <laughs> took me a while to get used to. But it's like. Hey, this is what I chose. This is what I'm doing. And this is, I'm going to try to do the best I can. And because it's about serving, like for me, it's about serving people with purpose. And if I can serve mm-hmm. somebody and what I'm still doing, and you know, I chose not to become part of the military industrial complex or continue on with that. Cause this, I was just over it, over it, you know, it didn't really mean a lot to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I chose to do. And if I can continue to serve people in whatever capacity, whether it's even real estate or um, I could be working at, you know, a manager at Walmart, whatever. Like you got to find whatever it is in your day, every single day to continue to go. That keeps you going. Like people are just going to be people. That's it. Period. Yeah. I think you're touching on a really big thing. And I think, uh, I'm going to try to say this. 
I guess like gallows humor is such a, like a popular thing yeah. inside the military where you're like, it sucks. And so it's just integrating or just going to mingle with your family after doing whatever and just having the most morbid, grotesque sense of way of looking at the world. It's all optimistic, but there's like underlying, like, I guess like slap in the face that most people could find just like difficult to work with. So, I mean, I mean, I jumped right mm-hmm. back into the military industrial complex. That's what I do. So it's like, it's, there's like a cushion, I guess I could say, but it's de- like, I mean, I'm from the Midwest, yeah. man. Like every time I go back there, they look at me like I'm an alien. And so it's- just Where are you like, from? As you're, Detroit. Oh, sweet, dude. I'm from South Dakota. Kind yeah. Of Midwest. It's- so you know Midwest. <laughs> no, I remember you used to wear the uh, Michigan State lanyard. Yeah. <laughs> no, Michigan, not Michigan State. Hey, watch your mouth. Oh, Michigan. Uh, oof, oof. I'm wrong. <laughs> but- watch your mouth. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. But yeah, it's like something like that. It's, it's like, just like you're saying, it's like finding that niche, finding that calling where you're like, it's, or as Cody saying, like, get off that horse, find a new one. It's, I guess you have to like come to, it's almost like a coming to Jesus moment where you have to say like, that's not what I do and who I am anymore. I got to figure it out. And the more Cody and I do this kind of like, just like Instagram talking to the average guys, it's, it's amazing to see that there's like, a couple different career paths that people take when they leave the military. And one is either stoner and the other one's gun for hire, where it's just like, <laughs> they either just shut off yeah. or they go right back into it even harder. And so, yeah, it's like you said, it's a slippery slope, but it's pretty It is, man. And like, there's a famous saying by, there's some author, it's like, everybody's the star of their own movie, right? Have you ever heard that saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's true because everybody feels, and especially nowadays, right? The society and I'm learning this stuff now because I'm learning in business where you have to be on social media. I'm not comfortable with it. And I'm, I'm learning how to be comfortable with it. And I'm like getting out of my own crap because in the military, certainly, and you guys know this, you wear a mask. Like I joined when I was 17. I didn't know what I was doing. I just like idealized like, Oh, I'm going to be a Marine. They're cool. They're awesome. Right. And then you were like, Oh, I'm going to keep doing this. And you get out and you're like, Oh, I was just 17 yesterday. And now I'm you know 36 or 37. And uh, you don't even know who you are anymore. So, and you're having to play catch up because you were gone the whole time and you're, you're just, you're dipping your toe back into the society and every society is like, I made the Shawshank joke to Matt before I got on here about the, the zooming chariots that are made of steel. It was like getting out of the military for me. It was almost like that. Like you got out of Shawshank and like, there's these zooming chariots made of steel, but the zooming chariots are like social media information overload. Uh, it's like I opened TikTok, like I just got a TikTok account like a couple weeks ago and it's like blaring at you when you open it. It's like, oh, it's in your face. So, like people are yelling to get their point across in the 15 seconds they have, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot of things all at once. And honestly, I looking back at it and like looking at it from just like an officer standpoint, I've noticed that a lot of the guys who stay in for, at least for the army officers, it's because it's easy to, you know, like that, like you're saying, like <laughs> if you funny. get out of the military and you become a real estate agent, well, oh, don't get me started. We could go for an hour. Some of the guys that I worked with who have yeah. stayed, I'm just like, really? You're, you're up for major. Oh, like, <laughs> but I mean, turds, like hey, the guys shit who got rises, out, man. Like, turds float to the top, dude. Oh, the turds float well, to the hey, top. Yeah, because <laughs> dude, it uh, some of those guys, man. But long story short, you know, hey, transition's tough. Transition is the toughest thing you can do because you literally, like you said, you had to drop everything you did. Now you have a TikTok. You know, you're you're a former 
Marine soft Intel guy. Now you're on a Chinese fucking app trying to, you know, sell houses yeah. and you got to do <laughs> it with that? a way. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> you know how, you know how I, you, you want to hear the reasoning, the bargaining, <laughs> you know, the bar, the bargaining oh, yeah? I did with myself for that to happen. Cause I was part of the OPM data breach. Like mm-hmm. what more can they learn about my life? You know, it's ah, like, there you go. but yeah. it's active <laughs> gathering, you know, it's, but it's active gathering to blackmail you. Or I mean, as far as, but everybody, again, it goes back to the, everybody's the, the center of attention of the universe. Who the hell are you to think that anybody cares about what you're doing? Your product, like you're like, yeah. all these people are worried about China and TikTok. It's like the point zero 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 one percent of incidental collection that they care about getting. Like you are not it, buddy. Like you're to sell a t-shirt from Alibaba. Like that's what you are to them. Yeah. Your data to be collected so they can guess what you want to buy next. Pretty much. Yeah. Just data, data for making money. That, and that's the weird thing is like when you get out of the yeah. military, it's not about trying to like, you know, kill each other. It's about just, you know, data and making money. It's all about making money. That's literally a, a period. And it's weird. So, <laughs> it's now, that, super weird. Now that I've like, now that I'm caught up in the span of this, um, I have, I do have a question for you since you did teach at the schoolhouse, since you did do, uh, you know, you went to the highest levels of Intel you can within the military. If I sat you down and I forced you to teach somebody on the Instagrams where to start learning intelligence, like, you know, they can't join the military, but they want to learn this as a hobby, like learning how to speak intelligence, learning how to speak with us. You know, when I sit there and I say, you know, support zone, battle zone, disruption zone about russian doctrine you know it's and they they look at me funny and they're mm. like you know well i bought a ukrainian flag i thought i was making a difference you know and you're like well atgm teams think differently than you know amazon ukrainian flags where would where would you start if you had to tell somebody like hey if you want to know the the path to truth follow this yellow big road yeah that that's that's a super tough question to ask like i i mean i could break this down to a, into a bunch of pieces one i think um understanding good tradecraft like tradecraft like when you hear that word people typically gravitate towards human right counterintelligence human or human intelligence um but i think tradecraft is something that actually um applies to anybody in any profession and applying a process to what you do right so i think applying having a good firm understanding of authorities and tradecraft not so you can follow them all um certainly because if you start applying you know laws and governance to everything you do you're never going to be good at what you do because you always have to find a gray area and be able to operate within that Um, because anybody that's worth assault and what they do is going to find a way to push boundaries so i think having a good understanding of tradecraft and like Mm -hmm. applying a process um is good i think uh, time management is uh, understanding of time management is really important too um a lot of the times of how I learned how to do Intel like early on was like very individualistic and you certainly do need to have individual skills, but I mean, Intel is a team sport, in my opinion, because you're never really um, doing things off on your own. Like if you're alone doing intelligence work, you're usually at some like level where you're collecting a piece of information and pushing it up the chain. You're not really providing information that's going to be dependent on the decision. So I think understanding how to work with others is really important. So like tradecraft, um, understanding, you know, time management, understanding how to work with others. Um, information management is really important. So, um, 
because you're going to be bombarded with information, right? So there, especially nowadays, because there's so many sources of information that you're constantly being uh, inundated with it. And everybody's trying to sell you a new system or whatever, that having at the core, like your, your own system that you put in place of how you're managing your workflow. And I think Matt could probably, probably remember some of this and what I would preach and like workflow, right. Applying workflow. Um, intelligence work is like quantum mechanics in a way. I think if, if you ever think about it, it's like, if you ever try to describe like quantum computing or quantum, quantum mechanics, even it's like this jumble of everything happening all at once, all at the same time. And everybody likes to look at it neatly. Like there's this process, there's always these cycles and these processes, but the reality is, is like the adversary gets to, to choose too. And you need to be able to adapt and, and understanding what's happening while it's happening and be able to plug that into where you're at and understanding what's happening. So that's why information management's key as well, because you're going to be so overloaded with information that you have to have some type of process in order to understand what you're doing and where you're at. Um, I don't know if I'm hitting any of the points or if this is making sense. You think you're nailing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I used to look I mean, at, um, yeah. So when I, when I was younger, I used to want to be an architect. I thought that was really cool. I had a really big infatuation with it. And when I finally got to like the intelligence sphere, like, I don't know if this is like a controversial statement or anything, but I used to look at say like insurgent groups, like building a house. Mm-hmm. So every group has a foundation. You can look at like, the management of savagery, which ISIS used, which is a text that was written by Mujahideen fighter in the eighties to fight the Soviets, mm. about how to fight the West. And so they all read that. So you're like, you can look at that as the foundation and then you can just build the walls and build the bricks. So instead of looking at like, I don't know, like a doorway or a window as that, you can look at it like, you know, like a key political figures, like an imam or I'm, I'm using like ISIS as an example, but you could look at like a like an entryway or like a smokestack, like uh, Al Baghdadi. And so when I was I was like yeah. 19 or 20, when I came up with this idea of looking at, especially intelligence, it was like there's a foundation. Everything is like a building. There's always a foundation. There's always a window. The window just lets you peek in just a little bit, and that's just one window to the full house. And so I don't, I don't know if that's like a good way to look at things for a lot of people, but that's the way I used to look at. And I still look at it that way because I used to read blueprints and everything like that. And I was like, yeah, I think uh, it definitely helped me out. And you're talking about, you know, time management and information management. It's you're right. There's so many things that go yeah, because on you have world. to come up with organization and, because there's so much to know about. There's so much to know and learn. And if you're not an active like mm-hmm. reader or active listener, then you, it's going to be very tough to do the job because you have to be able to key in on stuff and be able to recall stuff. And then you have to be able to find it quickly to be able to aid because you shouldn't be doing anything without being able to point to stuff and corroborate. Right. And this, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation for another time about as far as like the sloppiness of the intelligence work early on in the GWAT to like where I came to understand it, and like the, the level of refinement I got to and was capable of doing. But that was because again, you, you develop systems, you learn from each other, you rely on a team, right? Like there's a lot of weird stuff where you probably encounter too, Matt, and I'm sure you too, Cody, to an extent where like people are like rice bowl. They like are afraid to share. And that's, that's counterintuitive oh to God, actually yeah. good intelligence work, right? Like, because they're, aff- because they're taking into account the careerism that we talked to earlier. So they don't want to share because that piece of information they have is what's actually going to help them get promoted or they think. 
that's going to get them the neck, the big mm-hmm. uh, attaboy and the pat on the back from the commander. So that that's like already contradictory to good intelligence work and practice because you're taking these things you learn from the rest of the military and what you observe in the units you're part of, and you're applying that to your job, which that job should not function that way. And it's like bad habits are being carried over into it. And no amount yeah. of like an E9 walking sure around is. saying like, you're doing a great job and giving you a coin. is going to fucking ever, you know, make up for that. You're just going to be a creature of like, Oh, I got to keep this piece of information because this is going to be, and they don't, most people don't even realize they're doing it, but they're doing Mm-hmm. Well, mass sharing is a huge thing that I identified on my first deployment where I found out that the previous me deleted all of their share drive. So we walked in kind of <laughs> blind. And oh my God. so we were just recreating the wheels, doing it all from day one. And so when I got back, I went to your course, went to Japan, and I thought of a great little idea of making a distro of all the little analysts I've met in like the Navy and the Army and the Marines and the Air Force. Yes, and better just together. Like mass emails. Yeah, it's like, why don't we just send each other emails? So it's like third recon is ready with sit rep. We're going to kick it out. You guys can take a look at it. If you don't focus on the Indo-Pacific, it, it is what it is, but you can at least get a little information on it. And I remember one time there was, a, there was an officer that grabbed me. And he's like, why are you mingling with other branches? It's like, dude, we're, oh my God. we're supposed to share. It's like, we're supposed to share. That, that, dude. <laughs> that so, is a, yeah. such a systemic problem. Oh, my God. We, uh, we did it for like Cody. three months, I think. I, th- I definitely grabbed a couple of Cody soldiers. And so I would like yeah. rope them in and we'd shoot back and forth. And it was, it was kind of fun. But after like 90 days, it was like, I'm the only one doing this. This is, yeah. and then, you know, it goes right Keep back to the discouragement part of the Don't entire quit. job. I did. I did quit. This is years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, is, this is like, yeah. No, it, when, I mean, this, this is, I mean, that, that happens in like the office, right? So you have like officers, like the S2 actual not talking down to the enlisted and then the enlisted don't know what they're looking for when they're reading reporting and shit. And then, you know, officers don't talk to brigade because they're like, well, if I tell brigade, then this won't happen. And then you have it like divisions. And then you have like, I mean, my favorite story for like the sharing thing is like when Marsoc showed up in Helmand and we were the aviation element for TAC South, TAC Southwest and TAC West. So half, half of Afghanistan, if you, they were doing an operation with aviation, they had to come with us and we would sit down, we'd go through like their Frago and like we'd plan all these intricate air assaults and shit. And when Marsoc showed up, they would just like come into our office and be like, Hey, we got 48 hours to do this high value target mission. It'd just be this awesome targeting packet, but like everything on God's green earth would have to move. I'm talking like state department missions, all that shit. And so like, we'd have like seven day planning, like seven day plannings. And then like everything would shift right and left because, you know, JSOC would be like, Nope, this mission does take priority. The Marine Marsoc got it. And so we had to sit down with them and like with tears in our eyes, beg them like, please, we don't give a fuck about your intelligence. We have two to three missions a night. Stop doing this to us. I promise we won't show the army special forces. You're, you're targeting back it. I don't care. I just yeah. want to go to bed. It's the fiefdoms, like, dude. It's like the, yeah. it's the fiefdoms. <laughs> yeah. The, a lot of it was like, I used to call it uh, the commander's glory campaign. Like um, mm-hmm. you would come in on a rotation That's and so then good. you'd replace like the outgoing unit. And every, like nobody took the, like the left seat, right seat rides were almost like a formality of like, yeah, yeah, bitches. Like we're here now. Like it's good. We're, we're better than you. Right. That's kind of like the feeling you got sometimes, not on all of them, but some of them. And then you would yeah. completely look at everything that that last unit did or that last whatever squadron 
platoon, company, whatever. And then you'd go in the complete opposite direction and not build upon their successes. You wouldn't look at what they yeah. did well and like actually analyze it, do a tat, like an like a, a mission, some type of mission brief on like, oh, here's what they got right and here's what we think they got wrong and continue to build on successes. It would literally be like, no, our fucking O four has like every idea of, of what he and it's his turn now. Like he's been waiting for this chance and you know, this is his opportunity to prove himself instead of like, oh, I respect what you did and like let's keep building on these lines of effort. And that's basically summarizes the complete failure of probably the Vietnam War and every war we fought in the last forty years. Male EO. That's FK. Well, I'd say that was, so if we yeah, do a like a can. compare and contrast between like World War One, World War Two, kind of Korea and everything post then is the well, years stuck there. Until you're the there the whole time. Done. Yeah, yeah, you're there the yeah. whole time, and so you have continuity. There's no issues. It's, I mean, Cody and I talk about it. We're Iraq 2014, it was special operations focused and they rip out every like what 90 days. I was just in Somalia with SEAL Team 10 and those guys weren't even talking to the Marines in the South. I was like, dude, why not? They're, they're like, Marines, Marines though. What do they time. know? They haven't yeah, been through like, oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. And so I was working with those guys and I'm like, we can literally talk to each other. We can do this. We have yeah. this and we don't do it. Yeah, it's weird. It's, I, I mean, that's, an, again, I think that's another podcast you guys do, um, talking about the weird relationship we have with, like, history and, like, services, and it's like the member berries. I don't know if you remember that, Matt. I used to tell that joke about the South Park episode. There was, like, the, it was, like, the Trump-Hillary Clinton electioneer, and South Park made this awesome season of them. Everybody was eating these, like, blueberries, and they, were, they would talk, and they'd be like, yeah, I remember, and they'd talk about how great things used to be. And everybody was eating it and basically would make them remember how great it was back in the day. That's kind of how mm-hmm. I view the weirdness of our services and everybody dipping their, like everybody has to have like a piece of the pie, right? Like, Oh, everybody's special ops. Now everybody's part of the, the team. But then when everybody's part of the team, it's like, everybody's trying to make a name for themselves and like, Oh, well we're, j- it's no different in the intelligence community. Because everything those people are doing and like, you know, as far as like department of, you know, station people, they're trying to generate clicks. They're trying to get like mm-hmm. re- people mm-hmm. to read the reports with an IC because that equals funding. It equals money and it equals promotion for those people at that station. So it's like this weird corporate blending of like monetizing slash putting influence onto or pressure onto people that are in positions of authority to get them to produce because that equals you know, more pay, more influence, more whatever they're seeking power of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, no I different mean, in the military. I mean, that was, that was the, that was night and day. And, and you, you hit that and that, that could be a, a lesson all its own, right. Is like how the, the military and the DOD and the department of state both do that, where it's like, they're trying, they're, they're fighting internally for funding as well, right? Like Rangers are competing with special forces. Recon is competing with Marsoc, you know, God fucking for, I would kill to see what the inside of AFSOF looks like. You know, you got special reconnaissance, JTAC, CCT, pararescue all over there. And they're just fighting over a pot of money. And it's exactly like you said, like, yeah. Or authorities. It's it's not just pot of money. It's it's money with like the ability to do the big thing they trained for their whole entire life. Right. Like, like, oh, we, yeah. get, we got selected for the big niche. 
yeah right like and then what's funny is like they're all over there but then the support guys all roll up together and they're in the back kind of whispering like hey man what do you got like what do you got and they we're talking and then like they're arguing in the yeah the the children are arguing in the playground while support guys are smoking meth and doing lines of crack trying to make mission and my favorite phrase (laughs) that i ever favorite phrase that i ever got told in uh special like special forces support was get to yes how can we make this happen? Get well, you're to a salesperson. Yes. You just described yeah. your job as a support person. Yeah, right. Like, I was a salesman do it without realizing I was a salesman because I was trying to sell information to somebody to get them to make a decision that was favorable to what I thought the situation was. You were selling information of yes or no. Yeah. Like, hey, this isn't a good idea and here's why I think it's not a good idea. You're literally like in the business of sales. And I, I started putting that together Dude, it goes right, post it goes- my retirement. Like, holy crap, I was a salesperson. Yeah. <laughs> it goes right back to that whole aspect of just analysts being overlooked. So if everything goes good, no one talks about you. But if everything <laughs> goes bad, it's your fault. And so, I mean, I remember. Oh, yeah. You got to have a fall guy. I was, fall, you have to have a fall yeah, guy. Yeah, of course. Of course. It's always the two. They were always like, hey, two, where are you at? Why did we lose 14 guys in this hike? And you're like, I said not to go off the trail, dude. What the fuck? Like, it's not my problem. But the um, I do remember when I was deployed. Uh, we were rocketing Syria, and so our like our guys got like redirected, and we're getting sent to Syria. And so I spent like three days making this whole in-depth like forty-five minute brief for the ship's captain. And then he turned around and looked at the crowd, and he was like, "Is you ever seen the movie Speed 2? It's kind of like that." I was like, "What are you talking about?" It's like this makes this is not this is complete bullshit. I, and then internally, I felt like I just wasted all my time because everything I said they were just going to disregard anyways. And I was like, "No, yeah." You know that American Dad clip of Roger, the alien, just going like, yep. that didn't fix anything. Might as well get drunk. And you're like, that's the entire intelligence. <laughs> that's it. Hey, and, and for, um, I don't know what kind of audience you guys um, have. You guys have doubt on that. But for all the people out there that are like, yeah, but those are the guys out there risking their lives. Hey, dude, I've been blown up and shot at as much as the next guy, depending whatever your MOS was. So if that's your, like, approach on things, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, there's people doing Bro. stuff, and it doesn't. Nobody, the bad guy doesn't care what school you went to and what MOS you have. Like when things are happening, they happen. They're not like, oh, I'm only shooting at Navy SEALs. I'm only shooting at you know uh, 0311s. You know that that doesn't matter. Yeah, nobody cares. I was about to yeah, say. So I do have uh, a question for you. Oh, go ahead. One go of, ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say yeah. one of the uh, the most the most combat performing MOSs, at least by data points that we collected in the army was yeah was the 88 mike was the truck drivers they didn't they know the taliban and like the insert iraqi insurgents didn't give a fuck about special forces or, or the infantry no, they blew them up by no far and what. large the people who yeah. were ambushed yeah they just wanted to and they knew who what it looked like i mean i even remember reading uh publications by the marine corps saying like they knew like they would avoid digi camo because they knew that was the marines and they would fight and so they attacked like army pogues they were like the primo to attack for them was the pogues in the army if they could get their hands on army pogues nine out of ten times they would fight them and it was it reflected in their data like by far and large the 88 Look, Mike, they were the, the US army truck of io too because they dude i like insurgents in iraq understood social media and io before the times we're in now, because I remember seeing videos prior to going to Iraq at all. There was like these videos put together of like the Fallujah sniper. And like, there was like a sniper and Baghdad and all that stuff. And they were circulating within the ranks. 
like everybody was watching them and like it was almost like you know like the fetishizing like the death porn like stuff mm-hmm. but you're watching them and you're going like oh fuck that's scary like nobody is admitting it nobody's like like actually like saying they're scared but you're watching these videos that were going around and circulating on the internet back then of like the Fallujah sniper like taking dudes out like standing at their outposts or like dudes driving their trucks and like blowing Humvees up and stuff like that right and um they they were masters of it before and we obviously can't do it, and that's why we suck at counterinsurgency because of authorities and red tape and you know politicization of everything um because we can't actually fight that stuff the right way they can just do whatever they want everybody understands this now i mean that's why it's weird that we would ever get involved in any kind of conflict like that ever again yeah. Did you ever watch those videos of the uh, the old vietnam vets <clears throat> they could interview in the 1980s, 1990s, and they're like, I don't see America ever getting involved in like a prolonged counterinsurgency conflict because Vietnam was a mess. And then within 10 years, we did I, it I've again. never seen those videos, but I've talked to those guys. I've had conversations with a few of them, and I, I have books sitting on my bookshelf right now of Vietnam War talking about the same shit. And it's, you know, even when we got involved in Iraq, like when I was going, we, I had a really smart second lieutenant that brought the, there was a, before the counterinsurgency field manual existed that Mattis and the, whoever the army general was that helped, you know, co-author it, there was a small wars manual the Marine Corps had published in like the twenties or thirties. And it was almost exactly perfect. Yes. So he brought that with him as like kind of a guide. He was, he was very smart to bring it. And somebody probably, you know, gave him the wisdom to bring it, whatever he was fresh out of the Naval Academy, uh, fresh out of, you know, fresh Intel ground Intel officer. He brought that with him and he had the foresight to bring that with him. And because, if you look at the history of the Marine Corps, like that's what we were used to do, fight small wars, right? And he was like relying on that history and knowledge to bring it with him. And we used that as a guide to, to dictate how we operated during that deployment. This is before clicks. Clicks didn't exist. And they were like, we literally were doing clicks before clicks existed. Really? So they pushed our, us down to the platoon no level. Because based off of this history of the small wars manual, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it full circle here. So going back to the Vietnam thing, like we oftentimes will ignore history and, and faults and failures we have in the sake of whatever, right? The Smedley, everything boils down to Smedley Butler's speech, war is a racket. Everything mm-hmm. boils down to that. If you really distill yeah. it down, like yeah. everything really does distill down to his speech that he gave that he went on a national tour talking about. That's literally it. That's literally everything we're doing. And you're talking about these small conflicts special operations, low intensity conflicts, whatever you want to call them. Right. That's, there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new is ever going to be done. You just overlay technologies and different organizations on top of them, of how you're addressing them. There's nothing new. Period. Well, and I in the past have talked about like the 1990s and all the limited conflicts we got involved in that. And so there's that quote that came out in like what, 2004, 2005, that says America's at the mall, you're at war or something like that. And that, yeah, that was uh, somebody who wrote that. A Marine had wrote that on a whiteboard in Iraq or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and so I want to say that's I, where they wrote it. I don't want to say like, yeah, it was something like that. I, I've seen the picture, and so yeah. it's like the U.S. got involved in so many limited wars in the 1990s, and so we were riding the high of Gulf War '91. We just smoke checked the Iraqis, the fourth largest, third largest armies in the world. And then we got bogged down in Somalia and in Yugoslavia yeah. and everything. And then everyone's just like, oh, right under the rug. We're just going to keep going. And then it's just like the, I mean, Cody and I talk about this a lot, like America's short-sightedness 
Like we just, who the fuck talks about Kabul? Nobody. That happened two yeah. years. Yeah. Nobody talks about that. I mean, I don't want to be and all then, apathetic about shit though, because we have to do something. I mean, it's, it's not all apathy and shittiness. Like, because if you talk about, you just brought up Yugoslavia, like my wife's family grew, you know, Yugoslavian. I mean, she, she was born and raised in Sweden, but like her family history and lineage and they, we still go back there. We got married there. We got married in Macedonia. Um, but I mean, people there, I mean, that, that it, it made a difference. Like, you know, it's not all bad, you know, like some of what we did made mm-hmm, a difference. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not I, always all bad. You gotta, you yeah, also gotta yeah, look it, at some of the good stuff we've done. We, we have. And, and I think that's the funny thing is like, if you talk to the guy from a strategic point of view, absolutely. It, it was a failure. But if you talk to some of these guys, like, I mean, there are these moments of, lasting everlasting success you know like the commando the afghani commandos that we trained and got out of there you know they're contributing members of american society Mm now you know for better or worse and we'll figure that Mm -hmm. out as time goes on and i mean these things are difficult but i mean exactly like you're saying i mean part of the counterparts that i worked with in afghanistan were the lithuanians and the polish and forever and always now they'll be from you know i still talk to them to this day they'll always be nato allies like russia has that's yeah. two soft teams that Russia cannot break in because when you tell them like, oh, Americans suck, it's like, no, no, I've worked with one and he, you know, he's my best friend. It's like, you know, that's 28 dudes they don't get to have. And so it's it's small micro successes and it goes back to what we were talking about midway through the podcast is it's just give a shit and caring and having, you know, small little yes. impacts add Period. up. But at the, <laughs> the end of the day, Every time that there's a weird, we there's a weird in feeling the last, I get, like, you know, and I'm not super involved in the community. Sorry, sorry, dude. I'm uh, sorry. No, Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're fine. We're we're cutting in and out. But you're I was delayed. gonna say it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say it's just to to end it. Yeah, it's the uh, it's those small little micro victories that we have to you know add up, and we'll get there. We'll eventually all add them all up, and they'll make a success one day. But for now, it's like you know. Count your blessings. Count the small things because you know they, there are these little victories hidden in there. Yeah, and it, and sometimes it's just like having a, a a positive. There's a weird feeling I get, like, and it's only because of your wherever you're getting your information from. And like, I'm a fan of like uh, Twitter, right? Like, I wasn't on it before, but I like it now because mm-hmm. I I can get quick information. That doesn't mean it's vetted or true but you're getting a, a worldview from somewhere, someone somewhere quickly. Right. And that's why I like it. I think it's a pretty valuable tool. Right. And I think what's important to, to keep in mind is that um, it's an, it, like, there's a weird feeling you're getting from the world right now where it's like isolationism. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this weird, like, feeling of isolationism you feel politically that you hear and i'm not into politics i don't really care about them i don't care about republican or democrat anything i don't give a shit about that stuff but there's this overarching like theme i'm feeling from like people about almost moving towards like an isolation isolationism mentality and i think that's very uh dangerous to adapt to right like you don't want to adopt that as the united states of america cannot adopt that we have to be actively engaged in the world in a positive manner. Uh, whatever that looks like, I don't know. Um, and like, it certainly can't be like, let's go start a war somewhere. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That, that can't be it. But you have to have like engagement with societies. Um, and I don't know what the answer is. That's the tough thing, right? That's the tough thing that I think that 
we're always we're talking about here with societies like you look at iraq there's a interesting documentary i watched from a french news station they went back like years later it's on youtube and they do pieces on iraq talking about like where it's at now compared to where it was at the height of the conflict and there's a lot of good takeaways there there's a lot of good things happening in that country and but you don't think about it right you think about only the bad that's only what gets talked about so i think it's 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 just hard to, like to the... find like victories we could look at something like right, the romans their whole thing was soft power and so what is soft power yeah it's like mcdonald's blue jeans stuff like that music it's huge in it's that huge contribution yeah. it's influence man and so like you, yeah. you can go to an uncontact uncontacted tribe in like amazon and they've never heard of what God is, but they know what Coca-Cola is. You're like, that means you're winning. And <laughs> I guess, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, you could look at like the Soviet Union in the 1980s. There was a band Kino. They all just started wearing blue jeans because they were like, Americans wear that. They started playing rock music and all other shows. It was like two, yeah. to, three, two to three ratio of uh, FSB or uh, KGB and like music goers. But it's just, crazy McDonald's, sh- mcdonald's shows up it's like you just got to go for what the people want and soft powers i think the americans <laughs> do really well but hard power is yes. like i think we're very lackluster at it because we just i mean cody and i have mentioned it before america's really good at destroying things we're not really good at fixing it <laughs> well i think power. there's a lot people of reasons for that cold, I mean, <laughs> yeah i'm not educated at all like i barely graduated high school you know like but I have a lot of life experience and world experience. And I think there's a lot of things we can get into at that at some point. Maybe there's not enough time in the world to talk about it now, but I, I really always go back to like, why, why the West, not just, I don't want to talk about just America, but the West in general is because I think human beings at their, at their, you know, very base, we love creativity. We love artistic expression. We love the ability to create. We love the ability to be happy. Right. I think a, a human being's natural state is to seek happiness, whatever you find comfort in. And I think that's what generally the West does pretty well. You know, we, we, we create conditions and we try to set conditions where people can, you know, find whatever that is or create an opportunity for you to, to forge what you view your own path is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. I think that's wonderful. And I think that's what you're, what we're really talking about here. Soft power is, is that is allowing people to kind of whether you want to call it the illusion of choice or, or whatever it is, you know, people having somewhat of a choice that they can at the end of the day, you know, be happy in whatever they're doing. They're not being forced to do something or down a path or do something against their will necessarily. I think that's what wins always. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying to cut this short by no means because we honestly we could probably talk for no, hours. Good, but buddy. yeah, yeah, we're we're at an hour uh, fifteen. Um, Matt, do you have any other questions you want to run through it before we uh, cut her off? Want to? How do I say this? So Ryan, you worked at the Intel Schoolhouse. Did you see yeah. a de- decline in quality of people in the intelligence sphere? Because I know for a fact that some of the dumbest people I ever met was at Intel school. 
And then you can think to yourself, you can just think to yourself, you're like, those are the guys who are going to be careerists because as Cody says, it's easy. Like they'll just find mundane schools or whatever to fuck off to for 20 years and not really do anything, but they're like an Intel yeah. chief or whatever. So, I mean, you worked at 4208, you worked upstairs, but did you see like a, over the course of your career, like a declining quality of Intel professionals? I mean, I'm just going to go, I'm going to say no, because I don't, one, I don't, I guess I didn't pay attention. Like I think human beings are human beings, right? The, the decline in people is the same across the spectrum of like wherever you're at, probably in your service, right? Mm-hmm. It just is what it is. Like it goes back to what we were talking about very, at the, at the very beginning. It's just a matter of giving a shit and trying to inspire somebody um, in a positive manner. Like how I approached instruction was, I didn't care if anybody listened to me. I only cared if one person listened to me. Right. I didn't care if like, um, you know, I had nine people in the course or I had 20 people in the course, as long as one person was listening and, and cared and tried, that was my metric of success. And I don't think anybody's different over the time that I served. I think it's the same, no matter what, it's just you, it's the circumstances you're in. Um, like for instance, right. Like I think people were, were better, like the opportunity for them to be better was there. Not necessarily the quality of person was better. It's just, you know, I, I don't know how you, I, I can't quantify that. You know, there's no way for me mm-hmm. to actually quantify it and say like people were better when I was younger or people were better when I was older. There's no way for me to dictate that. I think it's the same, actually. I think, you know, somebody in the twenties was probably the same. It's just, you're a, you're, it's your circumstances and where you're at. And it's just making the most of it and being provided the opportunity that we talked about earlier and whether you're going to rise to the occasion and take the challenge or you're going to shrink and say like, screw this person. And some of that responsibility is on your senior people too, because I certainly had instances when I was placed into courses or opportunities I had where the people that meet the, you know, the expectation I had as a, as a person, there's an expectation that I have as a student that they didn't meet, you know? And I thought about that too. It was like, I need to not let these people down because they're here. Mm-hmm. They're, they're taking time off their lives from away from their family, their kids, their life, whatever it may be to be here. So it's my responsibility to come in every day and care and, and give my all back to them too. Just like, it's their responsibility to come in and care every day. And not all of them are going to, maybe one person does. And I don't think it's a matter of people are good or bad based on when you were born. Like nobody gets to choose that, man. Like you're just alive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, but any, any final words or anything you want to say before we, uh, we cut out of here, you want to like blast your real estate business and, Steal all the fucking yeah sure <laughs> um, yeah it's, uh, yeah so if anybody's ever buying a house in Virginia or North Carolina um, Triumph Realty we're you know it's literally my wife and I that we own and operate it and I you know we try to take the same approach like I was just talking about is I I will give everything to anybody that's willing to try and care and uh, do my be- absolute best for them you know so that's pretty much it man like just. Do the best you can. Be the best you can every day. Be kind. Um, I don't know. That's it. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. It's weird, like coming on to stuff like this because I, you don't ever think anybody gives a crap. Like I, that's how my certainly how I view my, you know, 
existence in the military. Like it's weird. Cause you, you see, you watch YouTube and you watch all these people and like, there's people that have made a living off of like their proximity to units they were part of or things they did. And I've never thought about it that way. And I'm sure, certainly sure I could get on somewhere and blast everything that I've done or who I am and why you should care, but I've just never tried. You know, what's funny is as we've done this podcast, it guys like yourself and many others who weren't, you know, the special forces Delta operator of the, you know, the year 2015 or whatever that you want to call it. And they didn't write six books. They usually have a book's worth of just things to talk about. Um, one of the, to give you an idea, yeah. like one guy who doesn't think that he has a story to tell either uh, in the nineties, he went and did a mission with the British army in Siberia to investigate freshwater seals in a Siberian lake. And it's just wow. the crazy, it, it involves, it's a story of like KGB <laughs> and seals and the British Lords and house of commons and shit like that, that went down. He's like, no, I'm just a regular guy. I'm like, you are anything but a regular guy. And I mean, you're, <laughs> and you're, you're an intelligence yeah. teacher and you or were, and you've done all these things. And I mean, it's, it's weird, but you know what? You've got a lot more stories than some people out there who've, like you said, made a living and wrote a couple books about, you know, four events in their life. But hey, people, people love to hear this. Yeah, I mean, just do the best you can, you know, every single day, man. That's that's literally the only thing I can tell you because that's the same thing I'm doing. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you've done. It just matters, like, if your day, this moment right now, like, what you're living this current second, the decision you make, the, the, the actions you take. That's it. That's all you have. Yeah, dope. And so, I mean, thanks thanks for coming on. It's amazing. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. We'll have to have you back. Uh, I we, feel like I didn't touch on like a million things. Like there's so much, dude. Like I don't even feel like I talked about anything. <laughs> dude, if you want to get a third seat, just ask us. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so many things to talk about, and uh, it's not all bad. Like I don't want to. Like some of this stuff can come across like us versus them. Like I don't try not to frame it as like support versus op- operators, or whatever. Yeah. Mo- majority of dudes I've ever worked with are top notch, grade A individuals it's always just the one person that always ruins everything for real? there's always like one person <laughs> and that just everybody's a good person and trying to do their best and to do what they can you know yeah it's, it's just it's, that it, one it, person that leaves that isn't that isn't that the i do we could keep talking it's always that one person and that one person speaks for forever right like he's the guy that's always talking mm-hmm. and always on the pedestal and you're and nobody agrees with him but somehow he just finds the microphone and you're like how how did he get up there <laughs> like, no it's like uh well they're the, the same people experience. on linkedin that are it's the same dudes that are like intel national security experts now on linkedin and they have their you know preferred gender pronoun or their title you know it's just first you the same, same people it's i mean yes what that show Peaky Blinder said that everyone's a whore, they just sell a different part of their body. Where you're like, Yeah, they're just yeah. selling them, they're selling their name, and so they have to gaslight themselves, feel like they were important. And sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. But I mean, hey man, cool story, sell books. So, yeah, and I support them if that's the route they're going to take, but just be honest about it, be who you are, be authentic, you know. Mm-hmm for you but, but all yeah, right man cool so cool guys thank you